Welcome, everybody. Speaking for all the ministers at Batcher Creek, we are so excited to see all of you next week when our church reopens for Sunday morning worship. Next Sunday is going to be our 175th anniversary as a church, and so we're going to celebrate and party like it's 1845. What a great day to come back to the church as we celebrate 175 years strong and God's faithfulness to the ministry of Bachelor Creek. Now, registration for next week's service will begin tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And you can register by going to the Church Center app or bachelorcreek.com or calling the church office. But we really recommend you using the app or the website and have designed it so that it takes less than a minute for you to register you and your family. And remember, you will need to register each week until further notice. And registration will close each week on Friday at noon. All right, well, today we are wrapping up our Upside Down Kingdom series. And if I've done my job, then hopefully you have seen how the kingdom of Jesus is upside down and totally backwards from the kingdom of man. Like in week one, we said that in Jesus' kingdom, more is less. In Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? In other words, Jesus is saying you can have more than anybody else and still end up with absolutely nothing. So he's saying that more that you are looking for is found really in less. In this kingdom, the way to become full is to empty yourself, to lay down your pride, to loosen your grip, to give up control, to surrender. It's countercultural. It's upside down, I know. But in this kingdom, more is less and less is more. Second, this kingdom operates on an other's first principle. People in this kingdom honor others above themselves. They put the needs of others in front of their own. Nobody in this kingdom would ever use or abuse someone for their own benefit or step on somebody just to get ahead. This kingdom principle is marked by what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So we are to be an others-oriented kind of people in this kingdom. Then in week three, Jesus said that if you truly want to be great, then you descend into greatness by serving others instead of ascending into greatness by having other people serve you. Our king even said himself that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then in week four, we learned that this kingdom is a kingdom where generosity flows. We have a gracious father who wants to give grace, who wants to have a full kingdom, who is seeking people to join and be blessed by his generosity. This is the God of the open hand, the God of the abundant life. And we saw also that it's a not to us, but to God be the glory kind of kingdom. Creation itself is about the glory of God and how when Jesus came and had every right to make it all about him, instead he lived his life in word and deed completely yielded to the will of the Father so that the Father might receive glory. Likewise, Jesus said, we are to live in such a way that God is always going to get some applause. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And speaking of heaven, last week we learned that heaven is a place that God wants absolutely packed out. And it's an inclusive kind of kingdom. 
See, when you think of an earthly kingdom, you think of a castle with a moat and a drawbridge and it's strongly fortified. Why? It's to keep people out. But God's kingdom has a door of grace that swings wide open and welcomes and invites anyone and everyone to come in. And then today, we come to what makes this kingdom radically different from any other kingdom. Get this, not only did the king live out all the values of the kingdom, but he voluntarily laid down his life to give access to everyone who would believe. In this kingdom, we encounter a king on a cross. Now that's about as countercultural as you can get. In what other kingdom does the king come down off his throne and die in the place of the most vilest offender? No other kingdom. This is why it shocked everyone when it happened 2,000 years ago. Now it shouldn't have been a surprise because there were all these hints and clues scattered all throughout the Old Testament, what we would call shadows. Now we know what a shadow is. A shadow is simply the image of the greater reality. It's not the reality itself. It's just an image of the reality. And all through the Old Testament, we have these celebrations, feasts, holidays, and traditions that have one purpose, to point to the reality itself. And that reality is Jesus. Everything in scripture is to point people to the greater reality of Jesus. Listen to how Paul says it in Colossians 2, verse 16. He says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Listen to this. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So let's go through the Old Testament and look at some of the shadows pointing to Jesus because the Bible is simply a record of how God has worked through history to restore a relationship with broken people like us. And throughout history, God has left all these shadows that point to the greater reality of Christ. For instance, God comes to a, a really old man named Abraham and says to him, you're going to have a child. I know you're old, I know you think your wife's womb is barren, but you're going to have a child, and your child's going to have children, and your grandchildren are going to have lots of children. And through you, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed because coming out of your lineage will come the one, the reality that all the shadows point to. Here's what God said in Genesis 12:3: I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That nation came from Abraham, and it was the nation of Israel. And you may have heard of how they were enslaved several hundred years later by a superpower in their day, most notably Egypt. And God raises up this deliverer named Moses, and he tells Moses, I have heard the cry of my people, and I am going to use you, Moses, to be my mouthpiece and to demonstrate my power. And God unleashes a series of plagues on Egypt to convince their hard-hearted king to let them go. The last plague was death. And he tells the Israelites ahead of time, listen, if you take the blood of a lamb and spread it over the doorpost of your home, when the angel of death comes through, it will pass over you. So they did spread it on their doorpost and it did pass over them. Again, just a shadow, a picture of what Jesus, the perfect, innocent Lamb of God, would do for his people. One death for all time for all people where our sins would be washed away by the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. 
And all throughout the Old Testament, we have all these offerings, burn offerings, sin offerings, peace offerings, where God required that the blood of an innocent animal would be shed on behalf of the sins of the people. And God is using these millions of sacrifices to point to the one sacrifice that would be made by his son. And for centuries, people called prophets would say, he's coming, he's coming. And their words were these shadows pointing to Jesus. We read in Isaiah 25, 8, he will, be, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. But to remove a disgrace and defeat death requires a great price, doesn't it? One that Jesus would pay in flesh and blood. And again, these prophets foretold details about Jesus' death. David, who wrote the Psalms, prophesied about this. In Psalm 22:18, he writes, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Do you remember the Roman soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothes? That was predicted almost a thousand years before Jesus. And here's the kicker. Psalm 22:16. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now, does that sound familiar? How did Jesus die? They took seven-inch spikes and drove them through the soft spot of his wrists and through his feet. Not only was crucifixion prophesied, but where they would put the nails was foretold so that we would have certainty that all this points to the reality of Jesus. What makes this prophecy even more remarkable is that it was a prophecy about crucifixion that was given hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. That would be like living in the 1500s and predicting the electric chair before electricity was even invented. The prophet Isaiah weighed in on this, and he said this 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now put yourself in Jesus' shoes, knowing that what awaited you was betrayal, abandonment, rejection, humiliation, torture, and death. Would you want to be that kind of king? Wouldn't you be tempted to choose another path in another way? That's what makes this king so remarkable, is that he chose this path. Jesus, knowing what was ahead, looked down the corridors of time, and he saw the shadows, shadows of your face, shadows of my face, and he chose. He chose to move ahead with his plan. Listen to Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus, catch this, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where he would suffer. Jerusalem is where he would die. And Jesus set out for it intentionally, resolutely, with determination. And just in case you're wondering, well, who killed Jesus anyway? Who was responsible for such an unjust, senseless death? Well, let's let Jesus testify to that himself. Here's what Jesus said in John 10, 17. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Now, just as amazing as his willingness to die was the manner in which he was willing to die, death on a cross. And we ask, why the cross? Because the cross demonstrates the power of God. 
Let me share with you what I mean. God took an instrument like the cross, which from the world's perspective represented weakness, humiliation, and defeat. And God used that same cross and redeems it so that it becomes now a symbol of love, grace, and hope. The ultimate symbol of weakness became the ultimate demonstration of strength, God's strength. And it's precisely because the cross represents such weakness that God chose it so that his strength could be seen. And that's how God always works. Just read the Bible. He only uses broken, messed up people to do great things. In the same way, God uses a cross that represents defeat and uses it as a symbol of victory. God uses a symbol of guilt and makes it a symbol of grace. God takes something that represents condemnation and turns it into a symbol that represents salvation. Who else but God could take a symbol of pain and suffering and death and make it into a symbol of hope and healing and life? And what God did on the cross, he wants to do in your life today. And for many of us, we have a hard time thinking that this applies to me because of my own guilt, my own defeat, my own self-condemnation. So let's just take a moment to talk about the enormity of God's love, the scope of God's love. I shared this with you a few years ago, but I think we need a reminder. Let's look at A to Z who God loves just to get a grasp of the scope of his love. A, God loves accordion players, airline pilots, artists, astronauts, acrobats, the Amish, Anglicans, astrologers, adulterers, atheists, and addicts. B, God loves babies, Baptists, boy bands, blondes, brunettes, bald people, and older women with blue hair. He loves the bullied and the bully. He loves brave people, bossy people, bitter people, burned out people, all the Bens, Affleck, Stiller, Roethlisberger, and of course, Ben McFarland. C, God loves Cubs fans, Canadians, Cambodians, Cubans, congressmen, crooks, creeps, cheaters, crystal meth junkies, and Colts fans. D, God loves dads, Puff Daddy, P Diddy, deadheads, deadbeats, drag racers and drag queens, disc golfers and disc jockeys, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, and of course, the Dukes of Hazard. E, God loves Elvis impersonators, environmental activists, evolutionists, and Eminem. F, God loves the faithful and the faithless, the fearful and the fearless. He loves people from Finland and France and people who think that the Philippines is spelled with an F. G, God loves grateful people and generous people and greedy people. He loves the glamorous and the gullible, grouchy and goofy people. H, God loves homosexuals and people who are homophobic and all the homo sapiens. God loves heroin addicts, the homeless, hippies and homemakers, and the late Harry Houdini. I, God loves people in Indiana and India, introverted people and intense people, irrational people, irritating people impatient people, and interns like Noah. Hey. <laughs> and yes, God loves IRS auditors. J, God loves late night talk show hosts named Jimmy, Fallon or Kimmel. He loves singers named Justin, Timberlake or Bieber. God loves junkies and junk food addicts and junkyard dealers. K, God loves Chloe, Courtney, Kim, Kendall, Kylie, and Kanye Kardashian. L, God loves people living in Laos and people who feel lousy about themselves. 
He loves librarians and landscapers, Lori Laughlin and all her lawyers, loudmouths, liars, and looters. M, God loves moms, ministers, monks, missionaries, Mennonites, Methodists, people who are malicious, meticulous, mischievous, mysterious, even murderous. He loves people who collect marbles and people who've completely lost their marbles. He loves all the children and staff of MSD and Manchester schools. N, God loves Nick Jonas, Nick Cannon, Nicholas Cage, Nicki Minaj, Nick Nolte, Nicole Kidman. He loves nosy people and people who pick their nose. Oh, God loves obstetricians, orthodontists, optometrists, ophthalmologists, and people in the obituaries. P, God loves pimps and prostitutes, pornographers, pill poppers, pedophiles, and the police who arrest them. And he even loves the patriots, who nobody loves. Q, God loves the Queen of England, members of the band Queen, and Queen Latifah. R, God loves Russians, Rwandans, real estate agents, redheads, rednecks, ruffians, rebel rousers, and rough around the collar kind of people. S, God loves South Africans, South Dakotans, South Carolinians, strippers, serial killers, sadists, stargazers, singers of rock, rap, and pop, and even singers of country. Barely. T, God loves Tom Hanks, Tom Brady, Tom Jones, and Tommy Lee Jones, the late Tiny Tim, and Tupac. He loves the Turners, Tina and Ted, and of course, Tim Tebow. U, God loves people from the United Kingdom, the United Arab Emirates, and the United States. He loves used car salesmen, umpires, and all the Mormons in Utah. V, God loves vegetarians in Virginia, vegans in Vegas, veterans of Vietnam, and misbehaved little girls named Veruca Salt. W, God loves Will Ferrell, Will Smith, Will I Am, Will Shakespeare, William Shatner, he loves waitresses who work at Waffle House and the woman who weighs you at Weight Watchers. X, God loves x-ray technicians and xylophone players, xenophobes, and x-game athletes. Z, God loves Zac Efron, Zendaya, Zsa Zsa Gabor, people who eat Zagna and Zero candy bars and fried zucchini, and all the members of ZZ Top. And I saved Y for last because he went to the cross for you. God loves tall you and short you and old you and young you, adolescent you, employed you and unemployed you, popular you and outcast you, happy you and sad you, saint you and sinner you, single you, divorced you, widowed you, married you, addicted you, lonely you, cynical you, PhD you and GED you. And because he wants to be with you, he sent his son to die for you. God doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves because of who he is. His love is not based on your merit, but on his character. And that's why you can count on it. So I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Have you reached out to the king on the cross and asked him to be your king, to be your savior, your forgiver, the leader of your life, the hope for your eternity? Have you become a citizen of his kingdom? If not, we would love to talk to you about this all-important decision 
So if you would like to talk to someone, would you please text us at 260-215-4334? That's 260-215-4334. And someone will call you shortly. And now let's take some time to remember our King on the cross as we partake of the elements of his death in the Lord's Supper. <laughs> 